Continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. Support your favorite restaurants on DoorDash. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep the communities they operate within safe. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fee on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code RAPTORS. That's $5 off your and zero delivery fee on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code RAPTORS. Don't forget, that's code RAPTORS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, joined, as always, by the big dog, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Um, it's good to be back with these beautiful white teeth. Uh, Did you go to the dentist or something? No, but... Or is that a Roman Reigns joke? It's a Roman Reigns joke. So thank you for introducing me as such and and not being ready to, uh, as my alarm says, play the game. I didn't know that his teeth no it is a thing because uh, that's how people were speculating on him coming back was apparently his teeth were very white uh that was part of it um and anyway i haven't seen him on tv yet so i can't confirm or deny but apparently his teeth have caught uh lots of attention uh, they're the talk of the wrestling world and I do have a dentist appointment scheduled for the Raptors Celtic series, which is a great transition to our guest. I feel. Yes, I, I was going to transition instead with uh, a Kyle Lowry Invisalign saying. Yeah. But uh, no, we'll do that instead. Uh, we are previewing the Raptors Celtics second round playoff series today. As a reminder, we'll also have lots of written content uh, on The Athletic. If you don't subscribe already, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash we the six or click any of our articles to check out a seven day free trial. Uh, one more reminder before we get going. Um, police in Kenosha, Wisconsin shot Jacob Blake multiple times in the back in front of his children uh, this week. It's the exact kind of thing that players have been fighting against in the relaunch. We've heard Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown and others uh, speak out and kind of try to use this to emphasize their message. So please keep that in mind. Please continue to uh, engage with those conversations. George Hill, yes, George As, Hill yesterday, too, sounded uh, very upset about the idea of being in the bubble, uh, and, and he sounded very emotionally affected by uh, what, what took place in the Bucks' home state, obviously. And uh, it's something to keep in mind for sure. I mean, more than keep in mind, keep top of mind for sure. Um, as Raptor Celtics gets going here to help us preview Raptor Celtics. We're joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic Boston. You can follow him at Jared Weiss NBA, and you can check out all of his stuff here on The Athletic. Jared, what's up, man? Uh, this intro has just been incredible. I honestly, you guys should just keep doing the intro for the next hour. I don't even need to say anything. <laughs> That's just because you're asleep still. <laughs> That's true. Wait, who... The the person that you're talking about, I don't. I, their name starts with two R's, which I assume is just Roman Reigns for your Raptors coverage. So yeah, is I as an American, I don't know. Is this a Canadian celebrity? No, or it's a wrestling this... thing. <laughs> okay, his name is what a great wrestling yes. name, Roman Reigns. His That's name amazing. is actually yeah. Joe. Um, yes, although he is a former Edmonton Eskimo or Edmonton football team player <laughs> uh, in the Canadian Football League. 
So there you go. So he's, he's a rough rider, I assume. Yeah, he is not Canadian, but he is um, a relative of The Rock, who also got his start in the Canadian <laughs> Football League with the Calgary Stampeders. So there is a little bit of a Canadian twist to it, I guess. <laughs> there always is. There always <laughs> when, you're, when you find yourself in the CFL and you're Samoan and have great wrestling bloodlines, you're like, yeah, it's time to give in to the family uh, the family business. This is how I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm living in Alberta. I, I might not even play. It's time to to become the big dog. Yeah, that's you, Eric. The big dog, <laughs> former former CFL backup kicker. I have covered some CFL games in my time, so that uh, that's nice. uh, and practices even. Yeah, I think the the only CFL thing I've covered was when I was interning at the Edmonton Journal. Um, the Edmonton football team introduced a new coach and I like went to a press conference with Chris O'Leary to just like see what that was all like. Uh, Edmonton for five, six weeks in the winter during the NHL lockout. Not the not the most exciting month or so. Shout out to Alfonso Davies, though, um, yeah. from Edmonton, a likely Lou Marsh winner and uh, Champions League winner. First Canadian to ever accomplish that. Uh Anyway, where, where, where does that where does that rank in Canadian athletic accomplishments? Pretty high. Yeah, I would say like he'll he'll win the Canadian Male Athlete of the Year almost for sure. Because okay. uh, he's not just a bit player. I mean, he's a great. He's like one of the most incredible young players in European. Yeah, soccer, like so. so it's one of those things that because it's soccer, a large number of people don't appreciate how amazing it is. And uh, Scott Wheeler, who covers like prospects, like NHL prospects. Uh, for the athletic was tweeted that like he's far and wide something like this I'm paraphrasing like he's obviously the best Canadian athlete going right now and he had a lot of people replying to him that Connor McDavid who is a hockeyer um, if you're not familiar Jared which I, I'm guessing I'm guessing you're familiar barely familiar, um, yeah familiar. Uh, like so lots of hockey players were saying this is the best hockey player in the world it doesn't compare and well no like he's Alfonso Davies is the best left back in the world, uh, which is one of, at, 19. at 19 is one of 11 positions. And I am comfortable saying that there are far more than 11 times. Uh, Eric. <laughs> uh, the, the Canadian secret society had to take Eric out for questions. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll continue on <laughs> without Eric uh, with the purposes of delaying us talking about the Raptors and Celtics as long as possible while Eric uh, figures out his connection, which is, which will not be a problem. Cause I have a very important question, which I feel like I need th- the big dog Eric here to answer. Okay. But let's wait when, for him to get back. Cause I have a big question for you. Uh, okay. I'll answer Celtics. That. Uh, and this actually is NBA relevant. So apologies for the diversion from the diversion, but we are going to talk basketball here. Uh, Jared, shortly before we came on this morning, you and John published a piece called How an Assist from the NBA Set Up a Small Yale Lab for a COVID Breakthrough. Uh, I know you're pretty tired and we're burning the midnight oil on that one. Uh, Give us the kind of elevator idea of what that story is all about and tell people where they can find it. So even though every story I've ever written was a must read, this... This is the actual must read of my entire career. I think this is the this is the most important story I've ever worked on. It was me and John Krasinski, our Wolves writer. And um, the I'm sure most people that are listening to this pod probably heard actually maybe not, because this is for Canadian audience and Canada actually knows how to deal with COVID because <laughs> you're not a 
completely broken society like America is, but America Only is slightly so, broken. <laughs> so we are struggling with COVID very much so. And thankfully we're actually now, as we get towards the fall, hitting the point where there's been enough time that we're going to have a cascade of technological and scientific breakthroughs to start testing for COVID at a mass scale. And it turned out that one of the big ones was from the NBA, where the NBA partnered with Yale in uh, Connecticut. I assume people in Canada are familiar with Yale. Yes. Um, yes. And so they partnered with the, uh, the small lab in Yale that was just a couple people um, who realized that they were, I mean, they were not the only ones in the country, but one of a couple different labs in the country that were at the same time were discovering that instead of shoving a nasal uh, swab up into uh, the frontal lobe of our brain, that we could just spit into a vial and hand that to a medical worker. And they were going to, you're going to get almost exactly as much out of that testing that sample as you are from those deeply intrusive nasal swabs. The difference is very, very small. So, and then obviously by doing that, you can make it so much cheaper to collect the, uh, collect the samples and you can process way more of them. And right now, at least in America, COVID tests cost like a hundred dollars to run. And there's many, many reasons that go into it. But with this new test that was developed between the MBA and Yale, it caught, it can basically cost about five, somewhere between five to $10 to run these tests, which is right now it's over a hundred dollars. So it's going to get so much cheaper that now you can have schools like universities, you can have companies, you can have government agencies running tests for every single people, every single person that's coming through a campus or a building and stuff like that. And they can do testing literally on a daily basis so that what happens is I'm sure everyone's heard about the incubation period with Corona. You have what's called a viral load, which is literally that the virus goes into your body and then it starts like building up within your body and you know, like literally like re replicates itself until it's taken over your system. And um, you can catch that before it's really contagious. And so this test, by doing the test on a very frequent basis every day, every other day, as opposed to how people do it now generally, which is once every week or every other week, you can catch it before you start to become really infectious. And then you can isolate that person before they become really infectious. And that's how you start to really dramatically slow down the spread of COVID and actually defeat it. So, And you can this, do a bunch of those tests for the same cost of one of the Exactly. So because it's so much cheaper, you can do it on a much more frequent basis and be able to afford it. And so we're going to see now, this is one of, there's going to be dozens of different types of tests for different purposes that it's all going to combine together to create the large testing scheme against COVID. But this is going to be a huge one where like, where it's going to be that Literally, if you're a student at a school, you're just going to be able to spit into a vial and get tested every single day. And so, therefore, it's going to be much safer for us to go back in the classrooms because they're able to catch people getting sick before they become contagious enough to be a major threat to everybody. And then contact tracing will be way easier. So this is a huge breakthrough. Yeah, that's a, that's awesome. It's a great story. I read it this morning over coffee. Again, that's called... Um, have an assist from the NBA, set up a small Yale lab for a COVID breakthrough. Uh, so check that out at The Athletic. Great work from Jared and John. Uh, I think we have Eric back. We do not. 
All right. Uh, Eric's microphone is not working, so. And I, you know what? I can even I can extend that pitch even a little bit more. I didn't get to the exciting intrigue part. Yeah. Now this story this story wasn't just us, you know, telling you here's what the the development is. We went literally behind the scenes to the point that we captured the moment that the idea was conceived, the moment that the scientists on the two scientists at Yale bumped into each other and had their eureka moment. Um, the the there's the secret there's a literal secret work in society group that was formed by a Timberwolves executive that brought together all the most powerful scientists and political movers and shakers across the country to get to get the White House involved with this. So this goes all the way to the very top, and we tried to get as so much detail of the behind the scenes process and photos from the laboratory and all this kind of stuff. So it will literally, it'll take you into the process in a way that you never see anywhere else. Anytime you can work in, it goes all the way to it, to the top. I'm, uh, I'm going <laughs> to, going to check the piece. It I mean, I already read it, but yeah. yeah. Um, while Eric figures out his uh, microphone situation, let's you and I start to tee up Raptor Celtics because we can't just uh, delay forever. And we're already about 12 minutes in and people are probably like, where the hell is the Raptor Celtics uh, preview? So Jared coming off of a pair of sweeps for each team. How you feeling? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> um, it, it this is just such a confusing series to preview because we don't know what's up with Kyle Lowry. Gordon Hayward is going to be out presumably for the entire series. So both of these teams are really hard to understand exactly who they're going to be. Um, I do think losing Lowry is a more fundamental blow than losing Hayward is. Both in that just the Celtics by design are built to lose one of their star wings and be able to somehow survive it. It doesn't dramatically change the way they function. While I assume, I mean, I guess be, by the virtue that you have both Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, there's at least some interchangeability there. But obviously, Lowry is, I mean, from my perspective, he's the most important player on the team. And so... Yeah, and, and fans, uh, you know, I've seen people be like, well, the Raptors went 12-2 and two without Lowry during the season, and, and that's true, and, and you know, the 15-7 and seven without Kawhi Leonard was helpful last year, and the Raptors do have enough depth that, you know, they were as good as they were this year with six of their top seven missing a lot of time, and they scored 100 bench points in game four against the Nets. Um, but Lowry... <laughs> Which is so incredible. Yeah, Lowry's the engine and the heart, and, like, there are more, like, more than the, the spiritual side, because Lowry is this tremendous leader. Um, you're also talking about, then, the ball in Fred Van Vliet's hands more, and Van Vliet is their best off-ball threat. Um, and then you're talking about, you know, Norman Powell is starting and he's a defensive downgrade from Kyle Lowry. And then you're talking about Terrence Davis or Matt Thomas going from a smaller bit eighth man role into that third guard role that, that Norman Powell normally occupies. So there's a trickle effect, obviously. And, you know, we already thought coming in and we'll talk with Eric about this a little bit um, that Nick Nurse might tighten his rotation to seven uh, or, you know, that eighth guy might might not have a, a whole lot of leash. Um that obviously you you can't just shrink it to six probably, uh, and if you did, you'd be playing a lot of gigantic lineups with Ibaka and Gasol. So uh, we don't know a Lowry status as of this recording. Uh, the Raptors are practicing early this afternoon, and we're hopeful to get an update at that point. But right now, we know that Lowry has an ankle sprain, and there is no timetable. Uh, I can imagine the Raptors just not providing a lot of detail, uh, as they generally do with injuries anyway, but especially with the extra level of player playoff games 
gamesmanship. Um, Jared, there's no expectation. Like, like now that Hayward's left the bubble with this injury and uh, Robin, his wife, is close to term, uh, there's no expectation that Hayward's back at any point in this series, is there? No, unless he defies, unless he has the quickest recovery from a grade three ankle sprain in the history of the NBA, pretty much. No, there's he's not going to play. Yeah. Okay. So they will we'll proceed as if Hayward's not playing. Uh, we do have to kind of frame this analysis from a maybe Lowry plays, maybe Lowry doesn't play situ- scenario. Um, obviously, Lowry's importance, you know, it, it extends just beyond what, what we talked about earlier. He's also a driver of other people's success. And in my last uh, Raptor recalibration from game four against the Nets, I included this very large chart of all the players Lowry's played with over the last seven years and how almost all of them with any sample have a better net rating and better true shooting percentage when Lowry's on the floor with them. Um, That hasn't been as extreme this year. Pascal Siakam has kind of taken the role of being the team's biggest performance driver. Um, You know, Marcus Saul's playmaking helps. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's obviously grown in the point guard role, but they'd miss Kyle Lowry uh, a lot. Jared, before we get into things like uh, rotations and matchups and stuff like that, I'm curious as to your take. Um, actually, let's rewind. The, so the Raptors and Celtics, I think we'd probably agree, were two of the top five teams in the league this year, along with Milwaukee and the two L.A. teams. Uh, Boston was top four on both ends of the floor, whereas the Raptors were an elite defense and about an average offense, uh, elite transition offense, poor half-court offense. In the bubble... Both teams were also really good. The Raptors are 11-1 in the bubble. The Celtics are the only team to beat them. By net rating, uh, the Raptors and Celtics are the two top teams from the first round. And some of that in the Raptors' case is quality of competition. And some of it in the Celtics' case is the 76ers just folding and tapping out. Um, So these two teams were good all year. They were good in the reseeding games. They were good in the first round. They are pretty evenly matched. The one thing that has caused at least some anxiety on the Raptors' side uh, with fans on Twitter and certainly with Celtics fans in my mentions when you retweeted uh, (laughs) the other day that the Raptors opened as favorites, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, The Celtics won the season series 3-1. They beat the Raptors on the second night of the season in a game where Pascal Siakam looked great. Uh, They beat the Raptors. They blew the Raptors out in the reseeding games uh, where Pascal Siakam did not look great. And the two games in between both happened right around Christmas. One was a Celtics blowout. One was a Raptors blowout. So a bit of a messy sample. Those two games in the middle were had a lot of Raptors missing. Um, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell all missed those. Patrick McCaw was starting a point guard. Uh, Jared, how much stock do you put into 3-1 and one start? And more specifically, the way the Celtics matched up with the Raptors in their reseeding meeting? Little. I just good. I look back. I look back at it, and I just don't. I don't take much from it. The seeding game it was just so anomalous. Uh, for one, it was it for while the Celtics did absolutely destroy them in the first half. The Raptors clearly did not fight back, and I would have absolutely expected that 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 game would have tightened back up into a single digit uh, uh, lead for the Celtics, even if maybe the Celtics probably would have held on, but. Um, it, it's really funny that you mentioned that about the Celtics fans because I tweeted after the Lowry news came out, wow, this is a huge deal because obviously the Raptors were the favorites on paper coming into this, but with Lowry out to match Hayward being out, this definitely could even things back up. And literally every response I got was how insane this is that I was saying that that obviously the Celtics were favorites or it was an even matchup before Lowry got hurt. Uh, 
a couple of people said that they thought that I was baiting with a hot take to try to get people to respond. And I'm reading these tweets and I'm like, what are you people talking about? This is the Toronto Raptors. They have the coach of the year because they were so insanely good this year. Um, so I'm shocked to see Celtics fans overinflating the Celtics and underestimating their opponent. But well, let's let's talk about what how other people have reacted to that because the Raptors, even with the Kyle Lowry uncertainty, opened as minus one twenty five favorites, which is a slight favorite. The implied probability there is about fifty five percent. The line's actually been bid up on the Raptors side. The Raptors are now minus one fifty favorites, which suggests about a sixty percent implied probability. Obviously, when Vegas sets the price, they're not trying to straight up predict the series. They're trying to set a line that gets you know, profitable action uh, on both sides. Um, But I'm surprised that the line got bid in Toronto's direction because one, the Celtics, as, as far as I understand it, are one of the most public teams in the league, meaning because they have a fan base, a a large fan base, um, you know, there's more, there tends to be more volume on them when, when there are good lines and the uncertainty around Lowry. I think a lot of people were at least, you know, maybe this is the, the Twitter echo chamber or whatever a lot of people seem surprised that the Raptors opened as favorites with Lowry questions and it's actually gone in the other direction where the Raptors are now slightly larger favorites uh, than they opened as do we have Eric back on the line to contextualize that for us maybe yay yay uh I mean I wasn't really listening to what you had to say because I was trying (laughs) to figure out how to uh get this to work but yes, America loves Boston. All Americans love the city of Boston. I think that's well known fact. So national treasure, national treasure, John Cena, yeah. future future president and Boston native. Everybody loves the Celtics as a result, uh, and also the New England Patriots. I think that's another example. The well loved New England Patriots, um, and that's why they're betting favorites. No. No, the Raptors are betting favorites. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and the line went more in (laughs) Toronto's direction over the last day. The Raptors are like a 60% implied probability uh, favorite right now. Their best player is injured. Have we talked about that yet? Yes, we have. (laughs) So this is what we're trying. Thanks for tuning in, Eric. I'm glad that Thomas is injured. Your microphone didn't work, so you stopped listening. I actually had to restart my computer to try and get back on here. So the the effort I have put in today already exceeds both of your efforts on what I assume was a great 12-hour sleep for both of you. Yeah. Um, oh, no, was, we, we discussed uh, Jared and John's no, story about I the, heard that. The I heard that okay. part. That's, I'm just being hilarious now, uh, okay. as, I, as I'm known for being. So let's get into some of the specific fallout of the Lowry injury. If Lowry can't go, Eric, is your expectation that Norman Powell starts in his place? And what do you see happening with the the trickle down in the rotation from there? Uh, Absolutely. I think, I mean, we saw it at the end of the second half of game four. Um, Powell just gives them that extra. He replaces the shot making and the, if not the playmaking, then the ability to get into the middle of the defense that Lowry would provide uh, and he becomes the obvious candidate. I can't imagine it's anybody else. Uh, and I think specifically because Lowry is the guy who's out, I think Terrence Davis becomes the obvious seventh, seventh man, at least to me. Now I'd be, I'm certainly less sure of that than I am of Powell starting. Uh, Nick Nurse has showed, let's say varying amounts of faith in Terrence Davis this year. 
he's very much wanted to keep that eighth man while Lowry is uh, healthy, that eighth man role uh, fluid, as many, many people in our industry like to say. Uh, but I think Davis is just, with his shooting and with his, you know, secondary creation is just the obvious guy to sort of step in for Powell as Powell steps in for Lowry. And after that, uh, since the concern is probably juking the offense a bit, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some Matt Thomas minutes. Uh, so that's how, that's how I sort of see it playing out. But uh, who the hell knows? Jared, uh, how have, for for any Raptors listeners who have not checked into the Celtics, um, putting the 76ers out of their misery the last couple games. How have things shaken out uh, with Hayward's absence? I know Marcus Smart has started, and that five-man unit has a pretty good sample together, but how have the bench minutes shaken out uh, beneath Smart starting now? Yeah, they're, they. I don't think they have a clear idea of how that bench is going to shape up without with Smart um, taking, you know, taking that step forward. Because they, they they're gonna have Brad Wanamaker out there. We definitely expect that. And then Rob Williams is going to probably play a good amount in this series. He didn't play a lot against Philadelphia because Endis Cantor was the ideal matchup against Joel Embiid. It did a pretty damn impressive job, which I'm sure pissed off all of the Celtics fans on Twitter because they all hate Endis Cantor for the most part. Um, ironically, um, why but, is so it then, just because like they like the defense has to get more conservative and like the drop back scheme is not something that they like, or is it just he's too one dimensional? What's what's the deal? It's there? mostly it's mostly because he wore a pair of really tacky jeans. Oh, and. <laughs> That's that a former WWE 24-7 champion. Yeah, and his jeans are as tacky as you would expect from a WWE 24-7 wow. champion. Wow. Did I get that right? Yeah. R-Truth um, didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't die for this. Come I on. Missed, I, <laughs> missed the, I missed his reign. Uh, it was like four seconds long, but he held the WWE 24-7 championship. Yeah. Uh, uh, in in uh, seriousness, no, the, the, the Cantor Williams question is the one that I was most curious to hear you answer. So um, for background, Ennis Cantor did play a little bit more during the season because Robert Williams dealt with injuries. Cantor actually had a plus 4.4 on-off effect and a plus 9.9 net rating. So uh, the idea that you can't succeed with Cantor on the floor because of his defensive limitations just doesn't really hold up the way the Celtics used him. He's a very good rebounder, a good interior scorer. Um, He's fine in a drop-back scheme, even though obviously as, as Raptors fans witnessed in game one against the Nets uh, an aggressive drop back does open up some opportunities for a guard uh, even against the Raptors Cantor played 35 minutes to pretty good results he had a bonkers net rating in, in the first round um, Robert Williams though if you're looking at what kind of skills might be useful against the Raptors well Williams is probably Boston's most natural rim protector and he's certainly their best vertical threat on offense um, how do you see that one shaking out here Jared yeah it, Williams is the guy and you know Cantor I guess in general can be pretty hit or miss as far as just kind of like on average against the average NBA team which obviously the average NBA team is not really a good matchup for him they do a really good job of prioritizing Cantor when it's a good matchup and he when it's a good matchup for him he's a very impactful player and he's one of the best players on the floor and I just don't see that happening a ton in the series but that that's fine because you know the, the time lord he showed during the seeding games where he's finally healthy and finally has a rhythm he could be absolutely deadly 
And he, I mean, the stuff that they can do with him on offense, it, it can be pretty amazing because not only is he just this incredible pick and roll threat where once he gets a foot in the lane, you just throw the ball up there and he goes <laughs> and gets it. He, I mean, he is just, I know he's only about 6'10", and his wingspan is like 7'3", or something like that. But when you watch him play with his fluidity and his athleticism, he looks like he's like basically like a Rudy Gobert flying around out there. You're, and he, or maybe like a, a slightly more talented Chris Boucher. But whoa, he, whoa, whoa, I said slightly, whoa. I said slightly. For all these assault, all these nice things on Canada at the expense of the U.S. earlier, and then and then you come <laughs> in and you you assault the second finest player in the league out of Quebec. I mean, he's no Alfonso Davies. I'm not, I'm not yeah, getting out of uh, well, I, I had him behind Lou Dort. Also. Lou Dort. So, yeah. <laughs> was that a Steve Holt there? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you, is, do you legally have to scream his name every time you hear it? Yes. For Ottawa law. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, I don't know if you're an arrested development fan. His, his one syllable, one syllable name reminds me of a character named Steve Holt. Oh. Who also I've, I've made a huge mistake. Yes, <laughs> who also screamed his name. Uh, so Ludor. See, what, right. what you don't know is I'm actually doing this podcast in a two thousand dollars suit right now. Yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, come uh, on. All right, so so Robert Williams, I, I, I agree with you, Jared. I expect to see more of him than Cantor, uh, especially. You know, in the past, Serge Ibaka, who projects as the Raptors bench center, has struggled with canter types on the glass and the post. He's actually been a little better in that regard um, this year in terms of handling the, the more bullier types. I don't know that the Raptors will be super comfortable defending a Robert Williams type, um, especially with how aggressive they like to be in the pick and roll. Uh, Eric, do you... Because Jared mentioned Boucher, and because actually I thought in the the regular season games between these teams, Boucher was a nice spark off the bench against the Celtics. Um, He hasn't had much of a real role in the playoff games, but he played 58 minutes against the Celtics across four meetings and had um, the the best net rating uh, of any Raptor who played substantial minutes. Obviously, there are a lot of caveats there, but do you see a place for Boucher more so than Rondé Hollis Jefferson, if the Raptors do need a, an extra forward or, or want to play a little extra, uh, a little bigger, or just want a kind of a Robert Williams light counter to the Time Lord. Uh, first of all, bravo to both of you for very casual references to the Time Lord. Uh, it just it's one of like the few good things about 2020 that we can do that <laughs> and. and like just in dry voices to say, yeah, the time the time lord's a problem, and it not be a joke. So we should appreciate that. Um, I guess it's kind of a joke. I, I I'm don't I still think Rondé is more likely to get playing time, at least at first in this series. Uh, I don't think he's going to be on. Uh, or he being Chris Boucher is going to play instead of Serge Ibaka at any point. So he would be in my mind, he's on either with Gasol or Ibaka. And I just think the Celtics have more one-on-one problems that the natural counter is to, okay, put one of your most versatile switchy uh, and also just pretty damn good isolation defenders in Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, on the floor, and because this is part of the problem with the Celtics, excuse me if you mentioned it already, but they have so many, you know, problems in isolation. They can they don't have to do much to 
create uh, advantageous offensive situations that you really need as many versatile and and just guys who can keep you and keep their their check in front of them. And that's obviously Rondé before Chris Boucher. Uh, if Robert Williams becomes more of a problem as the series goes on, maybe that changes, but I don't think that's where the Raptors start. We'll be right back after this. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And I, I also think there's a small element of, and obviously you can't look past the Celtics because this is, in my mind, as close to a 50-50 series as you can get, really. Uh, you might want to keep Rondé in the mix a little bit because you're probably going to need him if you get to the Bucks, um, because, you know, you're going to want to throw a lot of options at a, at a Giannis. Personally, I don't think that's much of a concern. I just think, like, Nick Nurse is totally, like, I'll deal with the next yeah. thing when I have to deal with the next thing. Like, you can't you can't look past the Celtics. I mean, not this, this isn't what you're... Not, I get your point, and it's not what you're advocating for, but I think if he thinks Chris Boucher is the guy at the start of the series, that's who he'll roll with, and, you know, if Rondé has to... And we know, like, Rondé sitting on the bench, it bothered him to start the year, and like in that game against the Lakers, when he finally got a role, he was like emotional about it. You could see how it wore on him and that could happen again. But as we also saw in that Lakers game, uh, him sitting on the bench, even if it impacted him emotionally, it did not impact his play. So I think Nurse is just going to be concerned with what gets them game one, what gets them game two and deal with the Bucks when they come. You mentioned uh, the number of isolation options that the Celtics have. And with Hayward, they have three 80th percentile or higher isolation scores. Uh, with Hay- Without Hayward, that obviously drops to two. But they're a pretty good I- ISO team. They were um, eighth in isolation frequency, fifth in isolation points per possession. However, the Raptors were the number two isolation defense. And the Raptors forced way more turnovers in isolation than any other team because an isolation defensive possession to the Raptors means one guy guiding you into either Fred Van Vliet at the elbow, sneaking in under your hands, or Marcus All setting a, you know, as Giannis called it, the double team wall. Um, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, I guess that takes us to kind of the the individual matchups part of this preview. And, and um, Jared, sorry to freeze you out here. I'm going to go back to Eric for his take on this. Give me my first. touches. Yeah. It, well, you missed 20 minutes of the podcast. Give me my so touches. Um, I actually ran out of water, so I'm going to run into the kitchen while you guys Perfect. And then you can come back and, and say the opposite of the points Eric and I just said. Like Eric <laughs> oh, no, I did have my AirPods on, in. so I'm listening okay, to great. all of it. Um, Eric. I am being you... unfairly maligned at this podcast. Anyway. How? You were being fairly maligned. <laughs> um, There's so many you ways that... you could fairly malign me. The, this one is not. Let me, ask the, let me ask you a question. So Go ahead, talk. jerk. Um, who, how do you see the Raptors lining up defensively? Uh, let's assume for the purposes of this exercise that Lowry is playing, uh, is Ananobi getting the Jason Tatum assignment or is that still a Lowry assignment as we saw most often in the regular season? So we talked about this briefly, uh, you and, you and me, you and I, us two, the two of us on Slack. Uh, I think it's gotta be OG Ananobi and I think he's just... In so many ways, and Tatum is, he's not Karis LeVert, right? He has a few extra inches on him. He's much longer than Karis LeVert. He can get his shot off uh, over top of a defender more easily than Karis LeVert, and, and he's just more comfortable pulling up 
than Karis LeVert. Um, and I think that matchup screams OG Ananobi. Uh, I, I think Lowry very much factors in and the extent that they, you know, set screens and there are switches. I, I don't think the Raptors, you know, I would anticipate the Raptors switch pretty happily or, or willingly in those scenarios. And that's why to me, Lowry's so important in, in this series is, you know, even if, even if you give up size, uh, you don't worry about Jason Tatum just backing him down, backing Kyle Lowry down, backing him down, just because you one more guy who can plausibly guard uh, their best isolation player, which in my mind is Jason Tatum. And, um, and let's be let's be honest about Lowry in those situations. I wouldn't worry about Shaq trying to. Post yeah, Lowry like there's unless. like there's like three <laughs> players in the league, like Nikola Jokic, uh, Joel Embiid. That'd probably be a bad matchup. And uh, then we're going to have to dig pretty deep. It's all about it's all about the initial positioning. Like, obviously, if somebody gets the ball six feet from the hoop with Lowry, it's a a bad situation. Anyway, that's why Lowry's important. But to me, OG Ananobi is the obvious defender, and you go size for size as much as you can. I I think Van Vliet probably gets the bulk of the Kemba assignment. Lowry's on Smart, Siakam's on Brown, and then Center on Tice. Um, see, uh, see, I might flip the Siakam-Lowry there. Um, we know that Lowry can defend up positions, uh, and Jalen Brown figures to have the ball uh, a little bit more. The thing with Siakam, and, and I want Jared's take on this because I have a couple thoughts about wrinkles you can do with Marcus Smart. Um, you know, Marcus Smart will let a three fly, and he's at 35.5% on threes over the last two years, over seven attempts per 36. So he's he's a guy that if the Raptors abandon him on the perimeter like they do to a lot of opponents, he's going to let those shots go. If you have Siakam on Smart, that frees Siakam at least a little bit to play his um, the role he's so good in, where he's creating chaos off the ball a little bit more, um, kind of help and recover, trap and recover, go for to force turnovers. Siakam's obviously a very good individual defender as well, um, but we've seen him kind of thrive helping off the corners and then scrambling back out to either block a three or contest a three or trap a guy in a corner. I'm wondering to what degree you can do that against Marcus Smart, Jared, because one, it, it makes it, it makes Siakam on uh, Marcus Smart an option to it, where he can freelance if you can help off of Smart like that. Um, safely. And then the other potential wrinkle that opens up is if Gasol or Ibaka are struggling um, with some of Boston's pick and roll action, maybe you put Ananobi on Tice so you can switch any of those actions in a similar way to uh, the Raptors had Ananobi guard Bam Adebayo and stuck Marcus Gasol on Jay Crowder in the corner. Uh, I think that's probably more of a secondary or tertiary option if things aren't going well. But what can a defense do with Smart and, and how can Smart take advantage of um, how well does he take advantage of if he gets less attention on the perimeter, Jared? I, I really like all the ideas that you threw out there, and I think and I think that all of those will happen at some point. I think the the big thing that people need to understand coming into the series is we're probably going to see constant experimentation and changes and things of that nature. So all these concepts should actually come to bear at some point. Uh, as far as just starting with Siakam, he covered Jalen for the most part, and I think Jalen Brown went three for seven from three on the possessions where Siakam was guarding him. Because the thing is, what I would do if I were a nurse is I would look at what are the strengths of the Celtics players and what are their biggest weaknesses when it comes to their shot selection. 
And Jalen Brown is an elite catch and shoot player and is an okay pick and roll playmaker and pull up shooter. Marcus Smart actually this year was an elite pull up shooter. He shot like 41% on pull up threes at high volume, which was one of the most shocking things in NBA history. <laughs> but catch and shoot, he still shoots in the low 30s, I believe. So I think he's like 32%. So based on all that, you would. I think naturally assume you want to keep a body closer to Jalen if he's the one that's stretching the floor so that you can have a quick rotation over to him and be try to put smart in those spot up positions. But to smarts credit, he has been fantastic at attacking closeouts, getting to his floater game or going. Now he's actually what's really made smart kind of take the next step towards I don't think anyone will ever recognize him as a star at a national level, but I think when you think of when you look at his defense and how his offense is becoming slightly above league average, I think he's starting to get there. But uh, he he is attacking the rim at full like at, with full intent at this point, and he's getting to the line and he's drawing a lot of fouls because of it. So he's really figuring out how to make up for most of his flaws. I don't know if it'll work against Toronto because their interior defense tends to be so disciplined and they don't give up a lot of kind of open um, lanes necessarily. But I do think that the Celtics can take advantage of the way that the set that the Raptors overextend on their closeouts. If they're going to do that, of course, but assuming the Raptors are still going to, you know, do a really hard closeout and try to completely run you off the line. I do think that actually plays much better into the Celtics hands with the, with the way that they're constructed missing Hayward. And so therefore I just feel like having, I guess having um, Siakam on smart would play into smart strength against that much better than it would be having him on Jalen like they had last time. So all that is to say, I think I would lean towards having Siakam on Jalen. Yeah, I, I'm just like thinking, first of all, uh, I mean, that's a great breakdown. And so what encourages Smart to take those shots and what makes Brown's shots more difficult than they would be otherwise? And, you know, there's different information out there about how much you can affect a three-point shooting team's percentages of hey, Boston's done it three years in a row now and the Raptors have done yeah, it two years in a yeah, row. Yeah, but I just think if there's a catch and shoot guy who's really good, don't you sort of want Pascal Siakam being the guy running out to recover on him? Like that's sort of yeah. where that's sort of where I am. Like he is he is one of the best, you know, contesters of uh, and most frequent certainly contesters of three point shots in the league. And if he's running at a shorter player, again, you might find him, you might find Marcus Smart making the right decision and then putting the Raptors in even more rotations, which they're obviously capable of <laughs> doing as well. The, like the Raptors never stop rotating and it's one of the things that makes them such a good defensive team. But, you know, again, with the strengths being what they are, I just, I think Siakam's better on Brown. It's not this huge conviction that I have. And like Jared said, I think the matchups will change. And certainly, like, there will be possessions throughout the game where they're all different just based on cross-matching. But I think that's, well, so, that's so where that's you start the, that's the other. That's the other thing with the Siakam-Brown matchup is, like, obviously, 
you know, both of these teams are so switchy and versatile that they're not going to worry a ton about cross-matching. But the Celtics are going to prioritize limiting the Raptors' transition offense. And the Raptors are probably going to do that against Boston because um, Boston didn't have nearly the volume of transition offense that the Raptors did. But they're pretty effective in it. And Boston takes care of the ball. So, um, you know, something like... You know, say, say you feel completely evenly about Siakam on Smart or Siakam on Brown. Well, Brown's going to be guarding Siakam for the bulk of the time, I would imagine, which we can talk about in a second. Keeping Siakam on Brown does simplify things a little bit um, going back the other way for Siakam. Um, Jared, do you see Brown was very, very good against Siakam in this last meeting. Uh, Siakam did have a comfort zone way back in the second game of the season. He missed the two in-between games. Um, He tends to do fairly well against defenders like Jalen Brown, where he has a little bit of a height advantage to get those post-ups or spin moves off over top of a guy. Um, he had a hit-and-miss series guarded by Timothy Luau Cabarro. Uh, last series, who is almost the same measurements as Jalen Brown, but not as strong. Uh, do you see Brown getting this assignment, and what are you looking for most from Brown if he's on Siakam? I can't believe that we're talking about Timothy Luau Cabarro having a decent defensive performance. It's 2020 really is a special year. But, um, hey, man. <laughs> You didn't. Watch, I assume you didn't watch much of the Raptors net series. He was a he, he was a relative standout in that. He was series. their third best player, and the gap between him and number four was enormous. I would say he was their second best player in the series. Frankly, I mean, it was. Would you have? I, and I love Karis. Uh, no, I would have Karis number one. Okay, because Jared Allen was really good. Okay, yeah, maybe, yeah, I guess. Jared I mean, for, okay, a guy, for a guy who didn't take a shot in one game, he was very <laughs> Yes, an NBA record 17 rebounds in a shotless performance in game three. <laughs> but, Reggie uh, Evans, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> TLC really is the modern Reggie Evans. It does make sense. No, Jer- Jared it. Allen is the modern Reggie Evans. Uh, yeah, TLC sorry, is, uh, the, I don't know what TLC is. The is getting to me now. TLC yeah. shot a lot. <laughs> yeah anyway Jalen Brown on Siakam Jalen Brown uh, a spicier so, matchup yeah the bigger difference uh Jalen's pretty he's gotten really strong at the point of attack now um he's real he's really good with his hands on the perimeter he could take contact to the chest against most players but obviously Siakam is at you know at a way different level but I do think Jalen is a really good fit here he just he he has enough power on the block now that you can't really take him to the block and completely tear him apart. And he's just become smart enough, and his balance is just so good that someone like Siakum who wants to kind of get some downhill momentum and then go through the go to the big Euro step ripover move. They're not going to have a lot of. I don't think he's going to have a lot of success doing that against Jalen Brown in the in the half court. It's really going to be like Siakum's keys to success here is open floor transition. And then doing what he did in the first game, which was kind of very casually running pick and roll and then shooting from three and then hitting every single shot, which was incredible in that first game. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, if he's doing that, I can't imagine the Raptors are going to lose this series because like if he's doing that, he's one of the absolute best players in the NBA. Yeah, Eric, um, I'm curious as to your take on I keep introducing questions as I'm curious. Obviously, I'm curious about your answer. Otherwise, I wouldn't ask the question. Um, I'm not. Well, maybe I would with Eric because I'm just trying to get him his his contractually mandated touches as the the lead Raptors writer. Um, The Raptors did not run a ton of pick and roll this year for Siakam with a guard 
screening. They did go to it late in games, most often with Kyle Lowry, sometimes with Fred Van Vliet or Norman Powell, and it was really, really effective. The Raptors didn't use um, the pick-and-roll ball handler much at all in the first round once once Brooklyn started switching. Um, you know, they kind of eased back on that and went more action around post-ups and more a little bit more isolation play. Um, the Celtics will switch a lot of stuff in pick-and-roll aggressively too, which might you know, maybe that decreases the the Raptors' appetite for 1-5 pick-and-roll, and obviously Lowry's status affects that. But do you see the Raptors going... Like, like do you think there's anything to the Raptors have kept that Siakam-Lowry or Siakam-Van-Bleet pick-and-roll kind of in their back pocket for when they need it more? Because this would seem like the time that it makes the most sense, especially if you can goad the Celtics into switching Kemba Walker onto Siakam in those scenarios. Yes. Um, I I think that's what you talked about before the restart when you wrote about the offense is sure. The Raptors half court offense has has been average all year, but their clutch offense has been very good. Why is that? And a big reason was this, they, they had a, you know, the small, big pick and roll that was just incredibly successful or, or screen action. It doesn't not necessarily a pick and roll. Uh, and they, you know, it's a break in, in case of emergency type thing. Uh, and the Celtics, you know, not to get dire, but they're a good enough defense that this is a quote-unquote emergency. Like, it, it's, you know, they're a top-five defensive team. They're versatile as hell. And the Raptors need to find any way possible to get Siakam going. And I, I think, you know, certainly, as Jared mentioned, like, I don't think his drives to the basket are, are going to be terribly uh, fruitful. They'll, they'll they'll certainly work him through the post as much as they can, and that involves you know running even if it's not to get a transition basket, like to get early post position. That will be huge for him, I think. But I think you're just going to see more of that, uh, more of the pick and roll or, or screen action, one five screen action or 2-5, whatever you want to call it, just to get, even if they're not switching, just to create some chaos. Uh, and it's it's pretty essential because Jalen Brown, I, I mean, Blake, you and I both sort of have crushes that we don't like to cop to because we don't like to say nice things about Boston. Uh, but he's an awesome player and he's especially awesome on defense. And uh, it's a tough matchup for anybody. So I, I think... Also... Go ahead. also- um, I just want to say, too, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but Jalen Brown's leadership in terms of um, the social justice actions that the players are taking and protesting before the pandemic and keeping the message uh, strong and consistent has been really admirable. I think, you know, the Raptors are obviously a, a great example of a team keeping that message prominent as well. And uh, the Celtics will, you know, the Celtics have done the same. So I think, you know, Jalen, not that this is a, a matchup based thing, but it's you know, I do think that this series is well equipped to keep those conversations going, especially after the the Jacob Blake incident this week. Um, Jalen's been a huge leader uh, on that front. Spinning it back to uh, basketball just a little bit, and Jared, try to keep this one tight because we got to wrap up after this. Um, Kemba's defense, how big a problem is it? And, and you know, is, I guess with Hayward out, it's almost a, a non-starter, but there's like the Celtics just have to live with whatever the Raptors can get against Kemba, right? They can't, they can't really minimize Kemba and still have a a fully functional offense. 
Yeah, I mean, Kemba's been good defensively. He's like a Kemba's an above average defensive guard in the NBA, and I think people are probably surprised to learn that when they watch him. But um, if he is going to be just chasing a point, a pick and roll point guard for the most part, then he's good. He's pretty good at that job. Um, it's really that it's the only major vulnerability he has is that if they get it stuck into switching and he gets switched on to someone like Siakam, that obviously there's a huge advantage there, but otherwise Kemba doesn't really hurt you as a defense. And I should say this could be the time where it finally gets exposed. If he is, if there is a way to expose them, I mean, we're getting into the second round against one of the best or the best coach in the NBA now. So um, at this point, if Kemba is exposable, this will be the time it'll show, but this year, he's been his effort is really good. He gets over screens pretty well. Although Marcus Soul is the best screener in the NBA, so we'll see how that holds up. Um, but he does everything you want out of a point guard guarding other point guards. And as long as he's able to do that, and the Celtics are able to do their up to touch drop coverage, then he should be fine defensively for the most part. Um, I'm glad. Sorry, I just want to point out that the guy who covers the Celtics full-time uh, did just call Nick Nurse the best coach in the NBA, which means he's the best coach in this series. Uh, Raptors fans, you can uh, take that and run with it as far as the Brad Stevens <laughs> discourse on Twitter goes. They're, they're, both great, they're both great coaches, but like obviously Nick Nurse has been the best coach in the NBA for the champion past Champion until he ain't the champion no more. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to ask for uh, about, uh, and because it caught my attention, is, is Boston just fine with Brad Stevens or is there any secret, secret sort of resentment, not resentment, wrong word. Uh, what's the status of Boston Twitter's relationship with Brad Stevens? Still good? Yeah. I mean, he, he is like, you ever just see like Jesus come down from heaven in front of you? I, I have. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what it's like for most Celtics fans. Uh, <laughs> it's it's Boston, so like there's going to be what are, what are you some malcontent somewhere. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say I'm saying that because it's Boston, there's gonna be some yeah. contrarian malcontent that hates Brad Stevens, and they show up every once in a while. And their rationale is never good. And of course, there has been plenty of ways that you could legitimately criticize Brad Stevens if you wanted to. But I think this season has restored the balance to him proving to be a great coach pretty clearly but nick nurse is the best coach and it's not there's nothing to do with brad stevens it has everything to do with the fact that nick nurse has just been so unbelievably great for the last two years and patrick mccaw isn't even here to expose his uh greatest flaw Um, (laughs) although patrick mccaw had the patrick mccaw game against the celtics yes which would which would only empower him more in this series well especially if lowry doesn't play mccaw would be starting (laughs) <laughs> um, all right, we have to uh, we have to get to uh, a closing thing here. So I'm going to give you guys three three quick ones each. We're going to go go the key story or matchup thing you're watching, uh, a player X factor pick, and a prediction. So uh, Jared, your key storyline that you're watching. This is so against my style of analysis, but Siakam versus Tatum. It's, yeah, it's just it's so, it's we so did exciting. a huge two part roundtable on it uh, involving Ben Simmons during the during the hiatus. Of course, you and I are in on Tatum versus Siakam. Yeah, and we saw how that played out in the first round between Simmons and Tatum. So yes, and uh, Tatum had a significantly better first round than Siakam. He, uh, Eric, what about you? What's the the key thing, the key story or matchup you're watching? I mean, that's obviously a huge one. If I'm not picking that, I'm picking OG Ananobi. His value is going to show in an immense way in this series, not only as 
a defender on Jason Tatum and what I assume is going to be the primary defender on Jason Tatum, which is exactly the matchup that the Raptors need him for not only this year, but many years going forward, hopefully. Um, but also offensively, I think uh, Kemba Walker will be stuck on him. Uh, I mean, I think the Celtics will gladly put him on OG and Anobi at, at several times, and we'll get to see what his development is like on that end. All right, I'm going to bridge the key story to watch and the X Factor um, by saying my key story to watch is uh, whether either team tries to go small um, and whether they do that um, to exploit the other team being big or to try to goad them into matching small. The Raptors closed one game against the Nets with an Ananobi Siakam frontcourt. They could do that with uh, Rondé Hulse Jefferson or Chris Boucher in the mix there too. Uh, much, much tougher if Kyle Lowry isn't there to where I actually think the jumbo lineup is more likely to see time. Uh, if Lowry doesn't go, the, the jumbo lineup being Van Vliet, um, Ananobi, Siakam, Ibaka, Gasol, uh, and maybe they zone up that way. But Boston can go a little small too, which means my X factor is Grant Williams. Uh, in terms of who could get yes. that third forward spot for Boston, I think he's an interesting guy to watch. I know Shemi is a little bit better of a shooter and maybe... Um, you know, a little stronger in one-on-one defense, but I'm a big Grant Williams fan, and I'm curious to see where he fits. Uh, Jared, your player X factor for the series. OG. Um, I think OG is going to dunk the ball three times a game, and he, I think he's perfectly designed to sneak through the Celtics defense and just absolutely wreak havoc on driving kicks and backdoor cuts and things like that. It's So I think he's going to have a huge series offensively too. Uh, Eric, what about you? Does Robert Williams count? Yeah, absolutely he counts. Oh, yeah. Uh, for all the, re- all the reasons mentioned in the Robert Williams section, I'm going with Robert Williams. <laughs> all right, and uh, prediction time, which is uh, always the toughest time in a series this close. Jared, what do you got? Um, can we do two predictions, one with yeah, Lowry course. and one without? With, yes. Lowry, uh, with Lowry, Raptors in seven... Without Lowry, I'll just say Celtics in seven because I am I literally can't decide and I might as well hedge both sides. There you go. Raptors in seven or Celtics in seven. Eric, you, you want to get so bold? <laughs> um, well, if Lowry plays in game one and is fully healthy, uh, I, I was sort of, before the playoffs, I was sort of leaning Celtics in seven. Uh, and when Hayward got injured, I switched to Raptors in seven. So assuming Lowry is healthy and, you know, 95% of himself, I'm going Raptors in seven. If he's like 80% or lower, I'm going or doesn't play. Like if he doesn't play at all, I'm taking Celtics in six. Uh, If he, if he does play, I'm still, but is injured. I'm I'm going Celtics in seven. So I'm based on my guess, my prediction of Lowry's status, which is just a guess. I promise I would say it would be Celtics and seven, but I don't like, it's impossible to predict this series without knowing how Lowry is. Okay. So we have uh, one person saying Raptors in seven or Celtics in seven. The other saying Raptors in seven or Celtics in seven or Celtics in six. Uh, guys, <laughs> this is the type of hard analysis you come I for. If you want to boil it down to one prediction, I'm saying Celtics in seven, but I like, uh, I know you, you're just, I feel like I'm being picked on today. I don't appreciate it. 
boy. You go ahead, pick, Blake. You pick Raptors. On, like Ennis Cantor in the pick and roll. You, you just I'm, pick I'm Raptors in six to get the cheap pop from the fans, all right? No, go I'm ahead. going Raptors in seven. I'm trying to balance, you know, the gut feeling probabilities about Lowry. And uh, when it's 50 50, I'll go, I'll lean slightly toward the Vegas side. Um, had the Celtics come out as favorites, I maybe would have been stuck on the fence. I think I think all three of our answers here highlight that this is, you know, if Lowry is playing five or six games and is 80% or higher, this is as close to a 50-50 series as, as you can get. Like, these teams have been so evenly matched in prior years, in this season. Um, you know, the season series up until this year had the home team win 12 straight games. Um, you know, it's just, it's so interesting from a matchup perspective. Everything's so close. Um, that's why you don't get good firm conclusions because they got to play the games and we got to we got to see how it goes. Um, we have to go. Uh, our producer has uh, another podcast to get to, and we all have some written content to get to as well. Uh, which, if you're not a subscriber yet, you can go to theathletic.com/slash/we-the-six. That's the number six, and you can get forty percent off, or you can click any of our active articles, and a forty percent should flash up or a seven day free trial. You can follow Jared's work at Jared Weiss. Or Jared, yeah, Jared Weiss, geez. Uh, I had a Canadian geese joke in my notes, and I almost tripped over it. Uh, <laughs> you were going to be Jared Canadian Weiss. Um, anyway, uh, Jared Weiss, NBA, on Twitter. Jay King will also be covering the, the series for us uh, at The Athletic Boston. So check all that stuff out. Jared, thanks so much for this, man. Th- this is this is great. I'm going to go back and listen to the show just to enjoy the Oh, my times. God. That will, oh, make I never the fir- that. that will make the first time anybody on this show has ever gone <laughs> back and listened to it. Uh, Eric, thank you too, I guess. Yeah, whatever. Bye. See ya!